Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. jokes lately yeah yeah okay so a monk a clone and a Ferengi decide to go bowling together and when they enter the bowling alley the Ferengi Ferengi is just dissatisfied with the customer service and refuses to pay for anything causing a dispute with this owner uh, and the monk gets ready uh, just to attack Um, but the clone is standing by and um, is ready to jump in at any moment and unfortunately the owner picked a fight with a group and suffered attacks from two strikes and a spare. I don't get it. The clone was a spare. Ah. <laughs> and then the Ferengi was striking with money and the monk struck. You know, I should go back to the holodeck. I could Perhaps work on it. Perhaps I didn't laugh because the joke was not funny. No, I'm pretty sure that it was. Whoop- Whoopi said it was, so. She also said you spoiled the ending, but I don't see how... More like killed it. <laughs> See, killed it is a good thing in my book. Yeah. That's right. It's the outrageous Okana. <laughs> a crazy episode where we have a, what is he, a rogue pilot enters the, uh, boards the Enterprise. Crazy sexy. Some people yeah. say Star Trek versus Star Wars. Well, this is our Han Solo. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Ooh. As soon as his ship appeared, I was like, this ship's from a different franchise. Mm-hmm. Where did this ship come from? Because we have the sleek Enterprise, and then this Battlestar Galactica looking like hunk of junk kind of comes in. It is also Millennium Falcon-ish, too. And it goes further than that, because the Millennium Falcon is equipped with lasers, and there is no shortage of laser shade coming from the crew of the Enterprise. <laughs> Absolutely. We find out lasers just don't cut it nope, in this world. Not like phasers. <laughs> <laughs> Laser cut. Okay. You're supposed to move your arms like this when you say that. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. It looks like lasers just don't cut it. <laughs> I loved that part of it. Is like he's just, he's putting all the programming in terms of what he's learned. He's like, now do them all at once. Yeah. He's just You're talking about Data and his B-plot storyline quest for comedy. But Amazing. Jake, what's the plot of this episode and this sexy hunk on his hunk of junk? <laughs> wow. <laughs> a hunk of junk, or it's the junk's hunk. Yeah, I get it. I'll take that hunk's junk. <laughs> he can't get it. Gonna... <laughs> Sorry, the Mom. Other... <laughs> There's a new competition to see how quickly in the episode you say sorry, Mom. Uh, The Enterprise crew rescue a roguish freighter captain whose ship is malfunctioning, but his presence drags them into an interplanetary feud. Wait, is he mischievous and irreverent and brazen? (laughs) You can tell from his personality. sexy rascal. They define him as a rogue. Right. It's like, okay, well, we got him. (laughs) And when Troy first assesses his intentions, she is amused. Let me tell you. I can't believe he didn't visit her quarters. I bet they did. I'm sure that happened. I bet he knocked and she wasn't there. She's not one to kiss and tell. He's specifically not allowed to go to different parts of the ships, and he is all over the ship. <laughs> what quadrants can I go to? Uh, room 808? Got it. Yeah. So just all the ladies' crew quarters? Is that what I'm to understand? Well, Data throughout the episode defines all words by kind of like their synonyms or words that trying to define them. Uh, he says he's a cad, a knave, a rake, a rascal, rascal. a villain, a wild elephant a wild was one elephant. I hadn't heard before. Yeah. 
I didn't know. Wow, that's uh. I can see it. Commenting on other other things. Yeah, I that was so. in his um, notes from the, the ladies who've reviewed him. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> so. <laughs> My favorite part of when we first learn when he's teleported aboard and immediately hits on the transporter operator, mm-hmm. but in a very sensual way. Well, it happens even before that when he like overhears a communication with a transporter chief and just goes, is that a woman I hear? He heard how hot she was over two different audio channels because that's her intercom to the bridge. Right. And he hears it through the bridge through his viewer, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, damn. Speaking of overhearing on the bridge, Warf really figured out how the mute button works. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. No, most of the time uh, they'll talk about someone who's over comms on another ship and they'll just like be talking about them and you kind of assume like maybe they have a remote and are muting. Who knows? But in this episode, they clearly use that mute button and I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. The job of a tactical officer is also that of a technical director, mm-hmm. and they have to make sure yeah. that different audio channels are muted at different times. I don't know if Yar was especially trained in that skill, right? Well, it's funny because originally on the Starship Enterprise, it would be the communications, which was Lieutenant Uhura's uh, field, um, and that was sort of combined with security. And then we have Yar here uh, in that case, who was opening hailing frequencies, which was pretty much her only line for a good chunk of episodes. <laughs> Yeah, security and communications feel like two completely different majors. You know, right? you could go into entertainment or you could go into law enforcement and they're not the same, but they are in the Starship Enterprise. It makes me realize that I wonder if Uhura's station wasn't kind of um, a bit of an anachronism from when they made the shows in the 60s because of like phone operators yep. being such a prevalent job. 100%. And I think that's like, oh, we have our space phone operator. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that's not really a thing anymore. So we just combine it to Worf is uh, on the front desk at all times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting, too, uh, just to go into a bit of Star Trek lore, is if you go back to Enterprise, uh, you can see Hoshi, who is sort of this intermediary, uh, or actually the beginning of the communications uh, station, because she uh, had, was a polylinguist, polyglot. Uh, and could uh, speak multiple languages and was good at picking up alien languages, which is why the station was created in the first place. Then with the translator, that kind of became moot as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why uh, a UBI is very useful in the future. They don't have money because jobs are roboticized. And, you know, who's, who's reaping the benefits and who's paying the cost? Let me ask you. And drones were just passed as legal for Amazon. Just saying. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for uh, keeping that concise and within one subject. That was great. <laughs> it's as I'm known to do. <laughs> so we find out that Okana's ship is uh, in trouble. It, his his parts need repair. And oh, he says do you don't they? Have... <laughs> they need maintenance, if you know what Plenty I mean. Plenty of ladies uh, are ready to maintain his parts on the USS Enterprise. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of apologizing to your mother this Sorry, episode. Sorry, Mom. Huh? So he agrees to come on board, and they allow him to uh, just visit certain parts of the ship. But uh, immediately upon entering the transportation room or transporter room, as uh, you mentioned, Becca, he hits on our security or our transporter commander. Do you recognize that actor, by the way? She seems familiar. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't recognize her. That's Terry Hatcher. Lois Lane. Yes, Lois yeah. Lane. Oh, or des- uh, is she Desperate Housewives as well? Oh, I don't she know. She looks real good in a slinky red polyester number. Yeah. That's all I know. That's why she looks so familiar. 
Oh yeah, that's Terry Hatcher. Um, let me let me see what else I can reference to her for. But I know her as Lois Lane too. That's mm. that's definitely right. yeah. She was from uh, Desperate Housewives. She was also a main star on that. So um, she actually is uncredited in this episode. Oh no, she has lines. That's weird. Well, the, the reason she's uncredited is she requested it because she had other scenes that were cut. And so they weren't quite enough for, for her, I guess. I don't know what the uh, exact reason, but, like, that's what's listed as for her is that um, her, her character's name is B.G. Robinson. Uh, and there's actually a fair amount of stuff that was written about her that was in the original script that got cut out. And I'm not sure exactly why, but it's gone. I time. will say that uh, I'm sure you'll appreciate this description, Becca. Um, it's quite a doozy in terms of describing her character. It's, quote, the very feminine and graciously endowed transporter commander B.G. Robinson. Okay. Graciously endowed? <laughs> Graciously endowed. Get this. Everything she has two of are perfectly matched, coordinated, and move with a grace, wonderful grace that is called woman. Fuck Ugh. you. Barf. Uh, you're making my mom mad now. Ugh. I know, right? So hot tip to anybody uh, writing character descriptions. Don't. That's not a great one. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> She's perfectly symmetrical is a fine way to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's perfectly symmetrical. <laughs> you know, symmetry. That would be terrifying. Has been you a see a person that's perfectly beauty. symmetrical. No, that's been a definition of beauty for like. Since I know, but has if it's if it's times. ever been accomplished, that I think the human eye would recognize that as really weird, and we would pick up on something being wrong. Like, because I think there's also what defines beauty is something that's a, not quite symmetrical sometimes. Strongly disagree, and it's why I'm always in a fight with my eyebrows. Listen, <laughs> it's all in the eyes of the beholder, buds. <laughs> I just want to say my favorite line that wasn't written in this episode is Picard on the bridge saying something funny to Riker. And Riker says, it's just that we found someone thirstier than I am, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> the one sort of misstep that I had, like, thing that felt weird for me with, with um, Riker and Wesley's relationship with O'Connor was this sort of, um, like... Bro down? Yeah, it was like Riker was encouraging Wesley to be like, "See, you could be like this too. Isn't this fun?" And it and Wesley was like the nerd and was like, "No, I'm going to choose family." And uh, Riker is trying to live vicariously through everybody. He yeah. wants to be the fuckboy that <laughs> yeah. O'Connor just inherently is. And we thought Riker was a fuckboy, but we were wrong. Right, that we met O'Connor. <laughs> yeah. And Wesley is his next chance to live out that that life. That's true. As a matter of fact, Billy Campbell, who plays the outrageous Okana, was one of the um, candidates to play William Riker, as a matter of fact. Oh. And made it pretty far in, and I think was one of the top too choices young. of Gene Roddenberry. Too young, too handsome. He appears to have excellent vision, as well as a healthy libido. Translation. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Game recognized game. So, uh, Billy Campbell, who I th some of you might recognize uh, as the lead character from The Rocketeer. That's what I know him from, from my childhood. I've never uh, heard of it, so you should elaborate. <laughs> it's a Disney movie where a uh, pilot in the 19, I think, 40s? Something like or that. Or 30s? Finds a, an experimental jetpack and becomes a helmeted superhero. Well, uh, hero. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting Nazis. With it's pretty pack. fun. <laughs> Really good classic movie. Hey, love um, anything where Nazis die. Yeah, yeah. They, plenty of them do. And in a fun uh, blimp explosion as well. Wow. Spoilers. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> He's also the first cousin of Bruce Campbell. Noted oh, B actor. Whoa! Yeah. Evil Dead! Ash! Yep. Billy Campbell has a lot of charm and charisma just in how he walks and carries himself and says his lines, but it's sad that he some of his say. lines are still another case of Star Trek where they're just kind of telling us what he is. He even says something to Jordy about, like, 
I'm forced to add a measure of flamboyancy and zest to the doldrum of my existence. Yeah. You got to push a ship hard, okay? But I listen, I can I believe it. I can believe it when you have that much time alone. He's just working on those lines and he's memorizing that over and over yeah. when someone asks me, this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm going to sound so cool. <laughs> well, Okana triggers our B plot line with right. data. Yeah, very barely. We kind of immediately divorce these plot lines very quickly. But yes, he does trigger it. And uh, it's it's pretty much like him telling him telling data that he told a joke in case Data didn't get it, which he clearly didn't. Yeah. Well, he, you know, Data had a lot of questions. Why are you so cool? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are, are, are what, what, do you mean love like the emotion or the act? Right. They're the same. No, they're not, because I hooked up with Yar. Let's remember. <laughs> Everybody is instantly charmed by Okana. Like, when he comes on board, obviously the transporter chief, BG Robinson, but also Wesley is just like, what are you about? And then Data with intense questions the way you ask it. I was like, he's going to bed Wesley. He's going to bed Data. And even later on when Worf's after him and like Worf, he kind of semi-charms Worf. It's like, and Jordy. Worf growled at him in a very possible. turned on way. He's yeah. going to bed everybody. See, this is why he likes to travel alone is because when you have so much power over people, it becomes meaningless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet he still has a heart of gold. I don't get it. He's perfect. You think there's going to be a twist and he's going to be a bad guy because he's so great? That is the twist. No, he is so great. Yeah. So let's talk about his perfection because it that that's a Mary Sue thing, right? Mm. Is he a Mary Sue? What's a Mary Sue? Uh, so the trope. So the trope Mary Sue. Now, I was I was thinking about this and I was uh I actually had read it amongst a number of other reviews that have gone gone over past episodes of Star Trek and they're mm-hmm. like he's a Mary Sue. I was like, "Oh yeah, what is the exact definition of that word?" Cuz I want to make sure I understand it. And then I went down a Wikipedia entry and like guess what? The phrase Mary Sue comes from a parody of Star Trek fan fiction. What? So here we go. Uh, I've never Mary heard Sue, of this before, once uh, again. Really? Oh, okay. So That's Mary two, Sue, two for two. according to Wikipedia, is a generic name for a fictional character who is so competent or perfect that this appears absurd, even in the context of the fictional setting. Like me in real life. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that Okana's a Mary Sue, but he's close in that he really doesn't have any flaws. He just kind of does whatever he wants well, and, and nobody really dislikes him. So he's pretty darn close to it, right? There's no drama with him as a character. He always kind of gets away with it or explains it and comes out still a hero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I everybody call that idolizes. a Becca Ann. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll edit like. that on Wikipedia, and we'll see how long it lasts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so what happened was with the, where the phrase comes from. Uh, let's see. The term Mary Sue comes from the, the name of a character created by Paula Smith in 1973 for her parody story, A Trekkie's Tale, which was published in the fanzine Menagerie Number no. 2. It's uh, satirizing unrealistic characters of Star Trek fan fiction. Uh, the story like has this uh, character literally named Mary Sue who boards the Enterprise and meets Captain Kirk, and Captain Kirk immediately is in love with her. Mm-hmm. She meets Spock and Bones. They all go on an away mission, and then she reveals in a moment of weakness that she's also half Vulcan. The men all get captured, and she has to run the Enterprise by herself. It's pretty much a, like a glorifying of the writer, the writer's self on board their own fan fiction, and right. that's where Mary Sue apparently comes from. Huh. Every day's a school day. Don't worry, I found every day's a school day. I found an infographic that's really going to help me. How to tell if your character's a Mary Sue. Oh, wow. Uh, I would like to say that I pulled a card last night while celebrating the full moon, and it was of a mermaid 
riding a seahorse and it said be your best self so that's how i'm feeling today (laughs) yeah yeah wow moons in pisces or something i don't know we're in pisces and also it's virgo season and those things mean something related to my personality yeah, I, I would just like to, for the podcast listeners, um, sort of describe this image that you've shared to us, how to tell if your character's a Mary Sue, because this is pretty much the defining uh, two versions of a character that you could have, a sort of green-haired Neko Jin, like cat person, uh, versus like a, an angelic goddess with a tiger, a dragon, and a wolf, and a unicorn, <laughs> and a phoenix, I guess? And she is winged, right? Yeah. Too perfect, beautiful, popular, powerful, and talented. She can't be good at everything. Boring, without flaws, and therefore a Mary Sue. That looks pretty interesting to me, though. It feels like the above descriptions of that picture are like archetypes of the things you'd find in that subculture, as opposed to the bottom description, which is just like, she has no flaws, therefore she's a Mary Sue. Which, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just like, it's essentially me. And I have no problems. Right. Could your greatest flaw be that you have no flaws? Yeah. So assume you're responsible for things you never did. Right. Well, thankfully, uh, the Okana has a very healthy libido, not a flawed one. And uh, he starts exploring the ship. Meanwhile, Data goes to the holodeck and tries to learn about humor. Uh, actually, from he stops, the funniest he stops, man alive. <laughs> he stops well, first at 10 forward and gets some guidance from Guinan. Yes. So we should note that. Because come back uh, Brent Spiner and Whoopi Goldberg together is just magic. I loved every scene that they had, and you could tell they just respected each other, and the acting was fantastic. And uh, I loved that moment where she's like, uh, she explains the joke to him, and he's like, I didn't laugh. She's like, Yes. That's it. You didn't laugh. You, yeah. So you understand your problems. Yeah, right? you get it. Uh, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good i laughed a lot Excellent. at this episode and i was i was ready to like kind of wince and i actually enjoyed the vast majority of the comedy training and yeah. even though like it, part of that is showing how bad some comedy is or hacky or like even um old school it is with the jokes and with the the jerry lewis impersonation <laughs> yeah uh turns out jerry lewis was uh asked to do this and i think was booked to do it and then he had a scheduling conflict so they got joe piscopo and for those of you who don't know joe piscopo he's actually a saturday night live actor who was on during the the dark years the, the years that weren't as good oh, <laughs> in like I the mid 80s i will Poor say joe. joe piscopo he is a, he's a very talented um impressionist and actor and if you do watch that era of saturday night live he is a stand out version of that for sure so you're saying that that joe lewis impression because once again i don't know the reference jerry lewis <laughs> yep right right right, right. Joe you're saying that was an accurate impression by a very good impressionist actually that's but that's jerry lewis's old shtick and yes he used to kill with that bullshit if you can believe it but that's because <laughs> that's that was 50 60 years let me walk on stage oh i fell down a robot come on stage wow but that, that's, but that's Star Trek is Star Trek is aware of it because even Data is like, so you just put teeth in your mouth and look like an idiot and people love you? I was like, that's... <laughs> that was a harsh yeah. line from Data. And I was like, that seemed a little out of character, but funny. <laughs> I liked that assessment because it's kind of true. You can do absurd, silly things and get a laugh. Yes, uh, that doesn't make us laugh because we're not from that era, right? But pretty dumb stuff has made us laugh before, for sure. I yeah. refuse to admit that. Okay. Well, I will be timing various farts throughout this podcast, and we'll see. oh no, I'm doomed. oh see even at the suggestion of it, you broke. <laughs> no, no, I was making a fart noise to make you laugh, stupid. So you also enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> no, but I think this was a fun exploration, especially because you could tell that this was from comedy writers, or at least 
writers who thought of themselves as like holier than thou when it comes to the art of comedy. Uh, and so it was a lot of making fun of older styles of comedy, but uh, they didn't really offer a solution for, for data. I mean, it was fun to go on this journey, but it was sort of like, well, you'll never get it. Tough luck. Can I just say that comedy is very easy. There's one rule to it. I can give you the secret right now. Uh-oh, here we go. Surprise! Oh! That's it. I it's thought you were going to fart. I'm going to insert farts <laughs> into your answer instead. Yeah. <laughs> It is either fulfilling expectation or not fulfilling expectation. <laughs> One of those two. That's yeah. not a, I mean, but that we have to be able to tell that in an hour long story. Like yeah. the thing is, is tackling, I don't know if, I don't agree necessarily that they're making fun of different forms of comedy so much. It's really trying to kind of explore it and be like, how do we dissect this? Because Jerry Lewis did kill with that way back when. Right. And these jokes do sometimes still hit. And actually half of what Data says is technically funny, but obviously his timing is wrong or whatever is the fun. Yeah. I laughed a lot at Joe Piscopo's lines, who, by the way, it sounds like he was allowed to improvise a lot of them. Yeah. Um, towards the end, even, uh, <laughs> Guinan says, you made a living doing this? He goes, yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Can I say, based on his haircut, I thought I was not going to like his character or his humor, and I was wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it definitely feels like 1990 for it's sure. It's a bullet. It's definitely yeah, it's a bullet. It's glorious, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And, like, all of the audience's hair and style, mm. Here for it. I love it. <laughs> I think it's really difficult to uh, have the plot line to explore humor, like to define mm-hmm. humor to a robot and explain it and be like, okay, now you have the facts. Now make it happen. They make a great point in this is that it's a kind of a uniquely human thing. And I actually was kind of touched by that at the end. I was like, that's that's true. We don't have that anywhere else but humanity. So it is kind of hard to define still. I mean, Becca, you're right. It is about like the unexpected or the expected and defining those expectations, right? Or or turn, chaining them on their head. Right. May I say that if every B-plot were about Data trying to discover some part of humanity by connecting more deeply with the crew, I'd be here for it. Well, buckle up. <gasps> yeah, there are a lot of them for sure. That's all you need. Yeah. Hey, but who is this man in trouble with? Because he can't oh. be perfect everywhere. Back to Okana. <laughs> Okana. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So after, yeah, we leave Data and back with Okana, we are approached by uh, a little ship that uh, comes right up to us. And it's a very Gulliver's travel situation, apparently. Even Riker calls it out as one mm-hmm. because we have little people with lasers. Lasers. <laughs> I love Worf's tone about it. Lasers. Yeah. Everybody's almost like, <clears throat> even okay, what are, what Picard do? was like the sassiest of all of them. Everyone's like, well, that won't do anything. It sure won't. <laughs> okay, we get it. We know. We yeah. all know about lasers. I, I appreciate this development, actually, because it doesn't put the Enterprise in peril so much as it just makes it a social situation, which there's enough Enterprise in peril episodes. Mm-hmm. May I say, perhaps the lack of potency of the other ships is comedic juxtaposed with the potency of Okana. Ooh. That was my data impression. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Also, also, just one more note on that. Audience program off is definitely a mood for like quarantine comics right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the room goes silent. I love that they laughed at the suggestion that they were leaving too. He's like, yeah. audience program out. Like, ah! <laughs> Great directorial choice. So, yes, it turns out two ships approach, and they each have claim to Okana's head. Uh, They want him, and it turns out one group has a daughter that they believe has been impregnated by him, and the other group is missing a uh, national treasure, I think is what they called it. Mm -hmm. No. Cultural treasure? Nick Cage. Yeah. The MacGuffin. Uh, 
The MacGuffin, yeah. <laughs> uh, Picard has the best line when he refers to this whole scandal as an ancient morality play. Mm-hmm. It comes back to honor, right? Honor's that thing that uh, crops up in Star Trek once in a while of like, oh, another problem because it's this irrational code that's based on these arbitrary cultural decisions that we have to obey, right? And they're kind of always frustrated by it. So archaic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the with the daughter and um and the jewel because there was also the son that was sort of wronged. And at first, I was like, did he sleep with both of them? And they're both <laughs> mad. I cool. still kind of assume he did. Like to become friends with them totally. is seduction for him, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a Frankenfurter scenario. Yeah. <laughs> now we ne- we don't know for a fact that he didn't sleep with both the daughter and the son from opposing factions, but turns out it's a Romeo and Juliet situation, which I definitely called before it happened. Uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. was it when uh, was it when Romeo said like uh, you can't marry her, and yeah. his dad's like, uh, well, uh, I'm fine with this. Like that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Actually, it was when our Okana said, everyone assumes I'm the father. Um, and I was like, that means you're not, dude. That means you're not. You use protection. You know your shit. You wrap your junk. Listen, you don't get to be roguelike without, uh, you know, a few incidents along the way. So he knows what he's doing and mm-hmm. it is safe. Yeah. <laughs> really pro here come on and you know what i appreciated with all his seduction was it was always consensual it was always like look you know i've used this line before but it's not about that it's about the warmth we share and the mutual attraction right it's like you're way in my personal space bubble but you know what whatever get in there that's (laughs) what i want you here So Worf is sent to go fetch this troublemaker and bring him to the bridge and man there's like several shots of Worf just yeah in the turbo lift yeah and uh, Worf reaches him at yet another crew member's quarters right. and manages to get him out. And, man, they give each other a steely look that, that Worf growls about. And what does Okana say? He says, like, sometime. Let it know or... what it took to drag me away from you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's but a good line. That, to Worf, he says something about, like, we will. Or, like, uh, promising the unspoken thing that Worf is, like, glaring at him, which I think is implying a fight. But to me... Is implying is war, uh, Klingon sex. Really. For sure. Yeah. Which is the yeah. same well, thing. Well, one and the same. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, and we, let's see. There's, there's, Then there's a lot of stalling, but eventually we bring these people on board. We find out the Romeo and Juliet situation, and Okana is still a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, He's not at fault. In fact, he is even not, he's not even at fault. He also helped bring these two together and Hello, was- Hero. Faring them across. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny because Star Trek is one of the few shows that can get me excited about the conference room scene. Just finally, <laughs> get them all in one room. <laughs> Ooh, Love a conference. conference room. Yeah. Yanar is the name of the young woman who is pregnant. And I'm yes. really wondering, is transporting good for pregnancy? Is that, you know, there's a lot of sensitive things. Yeah. And I just want to know, is that on a list of do not transport? You know, I um, think you would get along with Dr. Pulaski very well. Hmm. Or Barkley, or is that his name? Barkley, yeah. Barkley, yeah. We'll get to him. Polaski wasn't in this episode, but sorry, I just had a thought earlier, which was, if Crusher were here, oh, there would have been a moment. That would have been a yeah. scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crusher is Okana's type, vice versa. Oh, the for of- sure. Yeah. Okana definitely charmed me, and especially that low-cut shirt and all, but then yeah. when the ponytail came into camera frame... It's like, like a oh, thick pony. They couldn't... 
they couldn't edit that out of the HD version. <laughs> like that would maybe improve the picture, right? <laughs> You're not wrong. Because his hair is so good up to that point, and it's like, oh, he's carrying that thing around. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but I think that prevented him from having like an awkward mullety fringe, like we're seeing on Worf in your background yeah, photo. Yeah. That everybody had. Yeah. The rest of his costume was badass, though. I really liked his outfit. He's very um like almost Aladdin slash Indiana Jones totally like combo. On solo. What I was into in that at that era too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's changed? Nothing. <laughs> Zero. This is a uh, speaking of hair journeys, this is also the page boy era of Worf's hair, so just keep an eye on that thing. <laughs> yeah, Worf's hair uh, evolves quite a bit throughout the series, mm. as I recall. Mm-hmm. Becca, speaking of transporter issues for pregnant women, do you know about like the theory of transporter safety that has kind of been talked about outside of Star Trek in terms of like the internet and stuff? Well, we've definitely murdered everyone who's ever been transported. And okay, we have talked about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. And cool. rebuilt them, yeah. Yeah, we so just they're... rebuild them down there, right. So I guess the same would go for a pregnant woman, right? Mm-hmm. It's still molecules, just in a different right. state. There's definitely a dimension where it's just like corpses of everything that's ever been transported. <laughs> oh, it's God. very Rick and Morty. It's very Rick Sanchez thing to do. Yeah. In fact, I believe he has done it. Oh, God. All right. Well, let's not explore that episode. Uh, yeah. So we pretty much resolved the Okana plotline. We go back to the holodeck to see if Data's learned anything. Data looks good in a tux. Yeah. I like his coloring on that. That's great. I can't imagine, though, him sitting in the makeup chair for that long, having the yellow uniform on, and then putting a tux jacket on top of that. It's like, woof. Yeah, for sure. Um, And he does his best, and he succeeds. He succeeds so much that he realizes that his success isn't actually based on his own talent. It's based on the fact that he's in an algorithm, and the algorithm's built to respond to whatever he says. I wonder about that every day of my life. Yep. You think we're an algorithm? I do. No big deal. Well, that's topic for another episode. <laughs> you can't this drop an deep. existential bomb and be like, never mind. Oh, well, yeah. I'm in the Truman Show. <laughs> yeah, it's too existential. We can't go there. <laughs> so you're in the Truman Show. So we're in like our, you know, fourth season or whatever. And we are, we came in, we're like fourth season replacements for other characters in your life. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I renegotiated my contract, so. That's true. You're on for another. Oh, I, I, uh, I am also the producer. Of right. The my life. Watch this. You produced your own existential crisis. <laughs> yeah. I never said crisis. Yeah. Existence. Okay. Awareness. Existential awareness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and Data learns that it's not so easy, but it's something we're gonna work on, right? Guinan says it's you know got to develop this right and that's pretty much where he leaves it like he doesn't really learn much of anything i think he learns a little bit about like attempting because he at the end of the very end of the episode he tries to drop a few and it doesn't work no he crushed it on one yeah crushed it on the first one unintentionally right right uh the say good say goodbye data goodbye Goodbye, data Data. and he didn't know he didn't know that was a joke right but that's when he just started spewing out jokes right (laughs) jake that's the comedy but take my wharf. No, 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 no. <laughs> I appreciate that he's trying to make his own version of the joke. Like instead yeah. of just saying take my wife, which he doesn't. Actually, that might be funnier. <laughs> if he says take my wife, and he doesn't have a wife there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, let's say goodbye, Jake and Xander. <laughs> goodbye, Jake and Xander. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, Captain O'Connor. <laughs> but come to my room, though. Uh, seriously, after hours. Well, don't worry. I am going to find Billy, whatever his name Campbell. is. Campbell. Campbell. Right, Bruce's 
You need right. to watch The Rocketeer. It's, yeah. I, I'd be interested to see if it holds up. It's still like a family kids movie, but like it's pretty solid as I remember. Can't wait. On my list, I'm going to find Billy Campbell's email address and email him this episode so he knows. Great. <laughs> well, uh, our next episode is Loud as a Whisper. The Enterprise brings a deaf negotiator to mediate the end of a planetary civil war. Now, just to be clear, uh, I didn't just mention that they're a deaf person as a detail. That's actually a central plot point of the episode. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to explore that. Yeah. Sweet. Let's hope they do it good. Sweet. Let's all say goodbye, Captain O'Connor. <sighs> goodbye. It doesn't Bye, work as Captain a joke if we're not telling Captain O'Connor. Engage. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. That was exactly it. Audience program off. There we go.